Matthew chapter 21. This is in celebration of what many call Palm Sunday. It's a special day. All this week is a special week to Christian people all over the world. You know, what you and I believe about this day, what you and I believe about Jesus' death and his resurrection, this is what defines us. This is what makes us who we are. And it's what makes us different from the rest of the world. We believe some stuff that not everybody believes. We believe he died. We believe he was buried. We believe he went into the heart of the earth and we believe that he rose again victorious over sin, over sickness and over death itself. If you believe that, that makes you different. It makes you different. And there is such pressure coming from the unbelieving world around us to blend in. I don't know if you've ever sensed that before, but it's real, man. The pressure to blend in, the pressure to look like, sound like, talk like, live like the rest of this world. And as Christians, sometimes we feel that pressure closing in on us and we just say, well, I just, I just feel so different, you know. Well, there's a reason you feel so different. You are so different. You are different. And you know what? Deal with it. Deal with it. This is what makes us different. It's what defines us as people of faith. Let's read through Matthew chapter 21 together and just look at what was going on and, and look closely at Jesus as we celebrate this day and everything that it represents. Matthew chapter 21, just start in verse 1. It says, When they drew nigh to Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. So evidently, Jesus needs a ride. Look at it again. Verse 2. Go into the village opposite you. Immediately you're going to find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them. Bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you'll say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. I'm bringing you the same message this morning. Your king is coming. Our king is coming. Yes, we're talking about his triumphal entry today into Jerusalem, but our king is coming again. Jesus is soon to return. Thank you, Lord. Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And uh, other accounts of this will bring out that this was not just a donkey. It was one that had never been ridden, which has always been significant to me. I think we talked about it in here in years past, but Jesus was not looking for a used donkey. Jesus was not in the market for a donkey that had 100,000 miles on it. Jesus wanted that new donkey smell. You know what I'm talking about? And I'm sure people are the same today that they were back then. People were the same then that they are today. And I guarantee you there was somebody that saw Jesus riding that brand new donkey and thought, what does that preacher need with that new donkey? I guarantee you there are people upset about it. 
But he's not looking for some worn out, broke down donkey that can't hold him up. He wants that new donkey smell, right? And he told them, this is a miracle what happened. He said, you go loose it. And if they ask you, what are you doing? You just tell them the Lord has need of it. And I'm going to be honest with you. I have been tempted to try this at dealerships. Uh, I've never done it. I've never done it. And I'm not recommending you do it. But it did take some boldness, didn't it? To say the Lord has need of it. And the guy let it go. And all of it was done in order to fulfill the prophecy. And the prophet said, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king's coming to you, lowly sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on him, and he, they set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, people have made, and rightly so, a big deal about Jesus coming into town. And, and we talk a lot about the comparison between him riding into town and him coming into your heart and into your life. And it's a good comparison but the question we ought to be asking and the thing we need to be focusing on is not just him riding into town. Is, it's, it should be, what did he do when he got there? Why is he coming to town? What, are you just sightseeing Jesus? What are you doing? Well, if you keep reading, you'll find out what he's doing coming into town. It says in verse 10, when he'd come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And notice what Jesus did. The first thing he does when he comes into town, it also happens to be the first thing he does when he comes into our hearts and into our lives. Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. What happens? The first thing that happens when Jesus comes to town, he begins cleaning the place out. He begins getting things out of there that don't belong in there. That place was never created to be a place where people bought and sold and exchanged. And what, really what was happening is religious people were cheating people out of their money. And he said, this is not supposed to be happening here. He drives out things that don't belong and he purifies the temple. Are you listening to me? The first thing Jesus does when he comes into a place is he drives out what was never intended to be there in the first place so that the place is pure and the temple can be, can be used for what it was created for. A place of praise, a place of worship, clean and pure. Guess what happened to you, church? The day you said, Jesus, come on in. The day you made Jesus the Lord of your life, he comes in and he goes to work right away, driving out things that were never intended to be there. This is the power of the blood. This is the power of the grace of God. This is the power of his love to drive out of you what got in you that God never intended to be in you in the first place. This is why Jesus said in the scripture, whatever is planted that my father didn't plant is being uprooted. 
And there may be some things in you from your past, your family, your experience, some things that got planted on the inside of you that God the Father did not plant there. And the good news is Jesus has come to town. And he's coming in to drive out anything and everything that was not planted by your father. Sickness is not planted by your father God. Disease has not been planted by your father God. These things are being uprooted out of you right now in Jesus' name. And you notice he wasn't quiet about it. Do you notice he didn't go to those tables and say, listen, hey, we need to talk. What you're doing here, this isn't right. No, you know what he did. This angered him. He overturned those tables. He drove them out. This is what he does when he comes into the temple created by God. Drives out what doesn't belong. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Then, verse 14, notice what happened. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. This is what else Jesus does when he comes to town. He drives out what doesn't belong, and he goes to work right away, healing. He, the, the blind and the lame came to the temple. He healed them. But notice this in verse 15, and this is what I want to get to with just the few minutes that we have. It says in verse 15, when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Bible says they were indignant and they said to him do you hear what these are saying and Jesus said to them yes have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise what was happening in the temple that day made the religious people so mad. But what Jesus said it was, was perfect praise. Perfect praise. I, I know it in my heart that one of the things the Lord desires so much for us as his people and us in this church is that we come up in every area of life, that we always be on the increase and that we go from one degree of faith to faith and from glory to glory. But one of the things I really believe, and we've talked about it briefly in here in the months past, but I believe our praise is coming up. I have it in my heart that, that our praise is coming up to a higher level. And it's funny. It's funny when you travel, which is what Sarah and I did for so many years together, and we found ourselves in all kinds of places, man. We traveled full-time, which meant we were in one city on one Sunday and in another place the next Sunday. And several times throughout the year, we might be in another country. We went back and forth to India quite a bit. We went back and forth to Europe quite a bit, even Africa. And it's funny when you go into different places, whether it's another state in the U.S. or another country, how often people want to warn you, if that's the right word. They want to kind of soften the blow a little bit. Now, they, they might say, now listen, here in, here in England, we're not like the Americans. We're much quieter. <laughs> and a lot of the British are very 
proud that they're not like the Americans. But they might tell you, we're much quieter, much more reserved. Or you might go into a place in India and they might say, well, you know, we, we don't really respond like that. Or we don't really do things like that. We just have a, a different way. And in it, it, some places people are, you know, louder, some are quieter. But it's, it, it's just always been interesting to me over the years how people want to, for lack of a better word, make excuses for why they don't respond. And one of the things that I've got to be careful about as a teacher and a preacher, and I know we've got ministers in the room today and those watching online too. One of the things I've got to be careful about, and I learned this from my grandfather and others, he would always say things like, don't respond to their faces. And I was a little kid hearing him say that, and I thought, well, what does he mean by that? Until finally one day I was in my own ministry and I was like, oh, I get it. <laughs> You can't let the response or lack thereof from the people dictate to you whether or not what you're saying is right or whether or not you're saying it correctly. Or You can't let the people determine that for you. And I have been guilty of this. I have been guilty of going into a place, whether it was in the United States or someplace uh, on the other side of the planet or someplace in Green Mountain Falls, Colorado, and you go into a place and they're not, they're not responsive enough, so you try to turn up the volume a little bit and you try to preach a little stronger and you try to preach a little louder and you try to stir something up. And I have found over and over that all that does is make me tired. <laughs> I leave church worn out and talking like this, trying to force something. And I'm not here to force you or anybody else to praise. It's got to come up out of your own heart. It's got to come up out of your own desire to praise and to worship Him. And I believe it with all my heart that our praise is coming up. And we've had people come in from different places. We had friends in from uh, another country just a few weeks ago. And they were asking us about Colorado they would go around and preach in different churches in Colorado and say, we've noticed that the people of Colorado just kind of, well, you know, a little, little more relaxed, a little quieter. I am totally unwilling to let the borders of our state determine the borders of our praise. I'm not satisfied with that. I'm not satisfied to come in here and say, well, we're we're really unresponsive, but that's just because of our zip code. <laughs> Come on, that's stupid. You know what it is? It's an excuse. It's an excuse. I don't care where we live. I don't care where you're from, what culture you came from or what culture you didn't come from. I'm telling you the God who is the God here in this state is the same God that I encountered in India, is the same God that I encountered in the UK and in Africa, and people who love him will tell him they love him. It doesn't matter where you're from. But I've noticed that we've tried to put excuses on our lack of praise. But I believe our praise, church, is coming up. And I don't care if we're known for it. All through the Ute Pass. Oh, that's that loud church. All right. We just love God and we like to tell him about it. Amen.
And what made these religious people so mad is how loud it was. Did you hear what what they said to him? They said, don't you hear what they're saying, what they're crying out? In other words, they're telling him, you tell them to be quiet. You tell them to turn it down. And Jesus said, this is perfect praise. Perfect praise. And you know what else he said in other places in Scripture? He said, look, if they don't cry out, these rocks are going to cry out. And I love the rocks that we're surrounded by here, but I ain't letting them do my praising for me. Amen? I want to know how to praise Him, but I want to know how to praise Him perfectly. And what Jesus said was out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have perfected praise. If you want to know how to praise God perfectly, look at our children. Now, there's a difference between being childlike and childish. And they're good at both. We're not trying to copy childish behavior, but we are looking for a childlike faith. And Jesus said they praise perfectly. And as I look at this, I see three things they did that made their praise perfect. This isn't complicated. It's not hard. But notice what they did. Number one, they cried out. What does that mean? Perfect praise has to come out of your mouth. Praise is not perfected as long as it's still on the inside. And here again is one of the excuses you hear from people a lot. Well, I didn't really come from that kind of culture. I didn't really come from a very expressive people. But the Lord knows my heart. Have you heard people say that before? The Lord knows my heart. The Lord knows my heart. People say that like it's a good thing. Yeah, he does know your heart. He knows exactly what's going on in your heart and in my heart. And if what is in your heart is praise, then it is going to come out of your mouth. If it's not coming out of your mouth, guess what? It's not in your heart. Okay. They, the Bible says they cried out. Praise is not perfected till it's coming out of your mouth. Just listen to these scriptures from the book of Psalms. I'm going to read several to you. Psalm 34 verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Unless, of course, there's a power outage and then you're not required to praise God then. No. No matter what's going on, His praise will continually be where? In my mouth. Psalm 40, verse 3. He's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and they will trust the Lord. Psalm 71, verse 8. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and your glory all day. Psalm 51, 15. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Psalm 63, verse 5. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Psalm 109, verse 30. I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth. 
Do you hear the common theme through every one of these verses? With my mouth, with my mouth, with my mouth. It's time to get our mouths in gear, church. It's not perfect praise until it's coming out of your mouth. You got to open your mouth and give him praise. You got to open your mouth and declare his word. It's not enough. Well, it's, it's in my heart. If it ain't coming out of your mouth, it's not in your heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth will speak. Perfect praise is praise that's coming out of your mouth. you got to open your mouth. Psalm 145, verse 21. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh shall bless His holy name forever and ever. Psalm 149, verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Perfected praise is more than just noise. It's a weapon. It's a weapon in your arsenal in the fight of faith. Fighting the good fight of faith requires you to open up your mouth and give the Lord some praise. Praise stops and stills the enemy. You know, um, even modern warfare and technology, they're beginning to find out that, that sound waves can be utilized as weapons. And Joshua, in the battle of Jericho, Joshua's standing there going, I could have told you that. This is something God has known for a long time. But even the military has begun to find out that they can use, what is it called? Uh, LRAD Long Range Acoustic Device. And it's a, it's a device that generates sound waves. And they have figured out they can point it in the direction of the enemy. And it is a, a crippling sound. It is a debilitating sound that literally will stop them in their tracks. They're using this sound as a weapon. Well, didn't this scripture say that the high praises of God in your mouth are like a two-edged sword in your hand? Your praise is a weapon, but not until it's coming out of your mouth. Your praise is a weapon. Your praise will stop the enemy. But if praise stops the enemy, what do you think complaining does? It stops God. Praising stops the enemy. Complaining stops God. I don't want God stopped in my life. I want him with full access to do what he wants to do. But as long as I'm complaining, that's what the scripture says in the book of Psalms, that they, talking about the children of Israel that came out of Egypt, they limited the Holy One. They limited God. How'd they do that? Well, go back and read about them. They were nonstop complaining. They complained about this, and they complained about that, and they complained about the food, and they complained about the water, and they complained about the desert. And they said, well, we should go back to Egypt. It was better in Egypt. Are you out of your mind? It was not better in Egypt. You were slaves in Egypt. They were beating you every day. It's not better in Egypt. But the Bible says their constant complaining stopped God. Your complaining stops God. But when you begin to praise and worship God, even when there's plenty to complain about, you choose instead to praise, it stops your enemy. 
And you and I both know people. We know people like this, that no matter how good things are, they can find something to complain about. Right? I'm not asking you to raise a hand or poke a neighbor, nothing like that. But we all know people. It could be a beautiful day. Be a day just like we have outside right now. Absolutely gorgeous out there. And you're just out there loving this day and thanking God for this day. And it's all, isn't it beautiful? And somebody comes up and starts talking about, oh, we need rain. Just hadn't rained in so long. We, we really need moisture. We got such a bad drought. Shut up, man. Enjoy the sunshine. There are people that no matter how good things are, they can find something to complain about. But spiritual people, people of faith, are people that no matter how bad things are, can find something to be thankful for, can find something to praise God for. Is that us, church? We can find something to be thankful for. Perfected praise is praise that comes out of your mouth. What else did they do that perfected their praise? They used scripture to praise him. You know, to, to be a praiser and to praise perfectly, you don't have to be a singer. Or I should say it like this. You don't have to sing good. You don't have to sing well. You don't have to, to have a beautiful singing voice. You don't have to be a songwriter. You don't have to be a poet. You don't have to be an author for your praise to be perfect. You don't have to come up with new and flowery words that nobody's ever heard. You want your praise to be perfect? You want to praise God perfectly? Use words that are already written. That's what these little children and others that were praising Jesus were doing. They were using scripture to praise him. These scriptures came right out of the book of Psalms. Psalm 118, where they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're using scripture to praise him. Your praise is a weapon. You know that this book is more than just a book with printed words on a page. It's a weapon in your hand. Open it up. Give voice to these words and your praise becomes a weapon. They used scripture to praise him. And this is what I've loved about knowing and being married to Sarah for all these years. You know, when I met her... Some of you heard me tell this story. I'd, I'd heard a little bit about her. I'd never met her. She was friends with my cousin. And I ended up, I'd seen a picture of her and I called my cousin. I was like, who's this Sarah girl? Tell me about her. And uh, my cousin starts telling me about this, this girl, Sarah, who's beautiful. And she's a songwriter and a piano player and a worship leader. And, and I, 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 was, I, I wrote some songs and I played in worship bands and all that too. So I was interested, right? Well, long story short, I went to meet her, and uh, we were in her house, her parents' house, and they had a piano there. And I said, I heard you, like, play piano and sing songs and stuff. Can I hear one of your songs? And, of course, she was kind of reluctant at first, but then she sat down and she began to play. And as she played, I'll never forget the song she played. It's on her second album. It's a song called Faithful. And I sat there listening to it, and I thought, I'm in love. It's over for me. Done. I'm done. I have found her. And she played this whole song. It was beautiful and anointed. And I listened to the whole thing. And I'm sitting there next to her. And she got done with it. And I looked at her. And with all the boldness I could muster up, I said to her, please tell me 
we have a chance. <laughs> and you know what she said? And I'll, I'll, this is a direct quote. End quote. <laughs> Didn't follow it up. Not, there was no declaration of her love for me. I was just hanging out there. Fine, whatever. But I have sensed from that day until this one, as we would travel together, like I said, into all these different places around the world, and, and the Lord would have her minister in song and in worship, there was such an anointing on Sarah's songs. But if you go back and look at them, some of you are familiar with her music, there's scripture. There's scripture set to song. They're the themes of the scripture. They're direct quotes from scripture. And how many times in our lives, in our, in our marriage, have we needed, say, for example, for our children not feeling good or um, some, some kind of sickness or something, we, we, we go back and get mommy's CDs and we put them on, and the anointing that's on that music, it's anointed because it's scripture. It's God's words. And I'm telling you, if you want your praise to be perfected, watch over what you're singing. There's so much out there today that's called worship that a lot of it is emotionally driven. A lot of it comes out of desperation. I'm not saying anything to judge anybody, but I am very careful in my house and in this house that we don't give voice to anything that's not rooted in the Word of God. It's an incomplete praise. It's not perfected praise. You want perfect praise? Praise Him with His words. Psalm 119.54 says, As I journey, this is the Passion Translation, As I journey through life, I put all your statutes to music. They become the theme of my joyous songs. David himself, he's saying, your word is the theme of my song. Praising God is simple. It doesn't require that you be a songwriter, a poet, or a great public speaker. If you want your praise to be perfect, just use the words that have already been written. Amen. And then finally, this is what the little children did that perfected their praise. They acknowledged Jesus' place. Perfect praise is praise that's coming out of your mouth. It's praise that's rooted in the Word of God. And it's praise that gives Jesus the highest place. What did they say? Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They called him the son of David. They are recognizing Jesus' place as the Messiah. Our praise is perfected when we lift him up to his rightful place. This is why I love some of these older songs. They're considered old now. I mean, you got to see some of these things from God's perspective. I mean, Amazing Grace came out like 30 minutes ago, God time. You know what I mean? You got to be careful about what you call old and new. All those, oh, they do all those old songs at that church. Well, who you calling old? You know, be careful. But some of these songs I grew up with, maybe some of you did too. I exalt thee. I exalt thee. What are you saying? I'm giving you the highest place. And there's so much power in you and I saying that. 
Because everything in this life, everything in your life is competing for that place. The pressure that you and I experience in life is competing for that high place. Whether it's financial pressure or marital pressure, relational pressure, pressure from home, work, school, wherever it is, pressure tries to creep in on us. And the more attention you give to the problem, the more you exalt the problem. Are you following me? But what did David say? He said, come, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name, how? Together. Together. I love the invitation. This is group activity. Yes, praise can and should be done on your own. Absolutely. You can wake up in the morning praising even if nobody's there. You can get in your car all by yourself and praise the Lord. Let it come up out of your mouth. Sure, you can praise the Lord on your walk, on your run, while you're working out. You can praise the Lord at any old time you want to. But there's something else that happens when we magnify the Lord. When we exalt His name together. That's what I'm talking about. Our praise coming up. I believe our praise is coming up. And notice what he said, magnify the Lord with me. Do you know what happens when you magnify something? You, you've been around here long enough, you've heard us talk about it. What happens when you magnify something? Say it, I heard it. Say it out loud. What? It gets bigger. It gets bigger. Every time I ask people that, they say the same thing. It gets bigger. But if I take a magnifying glass and I put it on the words on these pages, do these words actually change size? No, they just get bigger to me. When you magnify something, you're not actually changing the size of that thing. You're just changing how big it is in your eyes. You're just changing how big it is to you in your perspective. And the more you talk about a problem, whatever kind of problem it is, you know what you're doing? Magnifying it. You are magnifying that thing and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And maybe you got a stack of bills on your desk and they're just talking to you. And every time you walk by, they're talking to you. And you've been thinking about them, thinking about them, thinking about them. And next thing you know, it's the topic of every conversation in your home. It's the topic of conversation when you get up in the morning, when you sit down to the table. It's all you talk about. How are we going to pay this? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? It's too much. How are we going to do it? And every time you give voice to it, you're magnifying it. Now, that bill has not changed size. That problem is still the size that it was days ago. But you, magnif or you talked about it so much that you magnified it to the point where it's all you can see. The more, you talk about, the more you talk about something, the more you magnify it. But David said, magnify the Lord with me. Now listen, he's already as big as big can get. You are not going to make him any bigger. God is definitively big. He's the biggest thing there ever was. He's the biggest thing that is or ever will be. He's not changing size, but he can get bigger to you. 
He can get bigger in your eyes. How does that happen? When you exalt Him. So instead of exalting the problem, you're exalting the answer. Instead of exalting the sickness, you're exalting the healer. Instead of exalting the lack, you're exalting the provider. And you're giving Him His highest place. But the more talk we do about the problem, that's worshiping the problem. I know we're not like singing worship songs to the problem, but you might as well be. It's coming out of your mouth all the time. Let's let praise come out of our mouths. Can we? Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.